This episode is brought to you by City Renewables, a solar consulting company founded in Washington, D.C. by Ben Colbert. He both specializes in converting residential properties over to solar energy, as well as helping other businesses kick off their solar sales company. Visit City Renewables on all platforms at City Renewables and check out their website at www.cityrenewables.com and let them know that Shrey sent you. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to the fourth episode of Temptech with Shrey. This is your host Shreyansh, who also goes with Shrey, in short, along with your co-host and producer, Brian. Today we have a special guest. His name is Bruce Prewell. He's from California. And Bruce has essentially been very instrumental in helping uh, Santa Clara County in California declare a climate state of emergency. Now, as novel as it may sound to many of you, several counties and cities in California have already done it. You know, there are several reasons as to why they indulged into something like this. There are reasons into why, you know, this has been happening in California then there are policies that are coming up with a climate state of emergency uh, declaration. And then there are also limits. And Bruce has been someone who has thoroughly seen this entire spiel of how things went and you know what the limits are and what should be done. And he has pretty good insights. So I'll just jump off directly to Bruce and I would invite him to introduce himself and really just play along and move the conversation forward. So Bruce. Please. Great. Thank you for having me on this call. A little bit of background on myself. Um, I'm a, an engineer, high-tech engineer, had a career in the computer business, in the wafer processing equipment business that makes the chips that computers run on. Also, I worked at Lockheed as an aerospace engineer. All of it very high-tech, doing projects to build things that had never been built before in the world. And the thing that most interested me was, how do you bring together a group of people with different skills and build them into a team that's, that is able to overcome the human tendency with different people to argue about things and not make good progress? How do you have the how do you leverage their skills to make things amazing things happen? And I was pretty good at that and did it for a few companies, um, company-wide projects, cu culture change projects in high-tech companies. And I say that kind of as background for myself and in terms of what, where it brought me, um, I always have had a, a social consciousness and an interest in making the world a better place for everybody. And um, 
I remember when I was about eight years old and I started to notice out the window of my apartment where I live with my, my family, uh, how different people looked walking by on the streets and going in the store across the street. And they seemed really different from us. And I suddenly noticed it when I was about eight years old and said to my dad, who are these people? They're so different from us. Who, who are they? Who were, who were th those people out there? And he said, he said something that changed my life. He said, remember, son, we'll, we're all part of the same human family. And up until that point, I had just known my, my mom and my dad and my sister, younger sister. And like my focus on my life was on my family. And I was looking to see who are these other people that are so different looking out there in the world. And what he said about the human family really inspired me in my life that we're all connected together and we all share a common destiny. So fast forward a bunch of years, I'm 74 years old right now and retired for the last 15 years or so. Um, I have been involved in what I see as some of the most urgent needs that we face uh, as humanity in seeing how can we mobilize and engage people because it's going to take all of us to make the changes happen that are needed in the world, needed in the way that we live our lives in the world to make this place habitable because we're quickly outpacing the capacity of the, the carrying capacity of the life support systems of the planet in lots of different ways. And climate change is one of those big ways that's looming out ahead of us and is going to be and is continuing to accelerate in terms of the size of the impacts, the size of the effects on our lives. In California we've been facing things like wildfires. Uh, Texas has been facing um, Arctic weather as the climate system, the weather system shifts and the cold, cold air from the Arctic has found its way down to to cover much of the United States. I think more than, I think it, I read the other day, 74% of the U.S. Is, has, has snow on the ground Wow! over the last few days uh, that stayed. It's been so cold. And in Texas in particular, there have been uh, people who have died from exposure because the power system went down because it wasn't designed to be able to withstand the cold weather that they, they, they faced. So... Um, that's kind of my background, and um, one of the things that I did about uh, um, a year plus, a few months ago, was to say, what can we do that will make the biggest difference? And, and um, there was a, an organization that I found out about called Climate Reality, and that they were encouraging people to have local uh, city governments and um, counties and state governments and ultimately countries around the world. I think there are over a thousand local governments that have done this, is to declare a climate emergency, to say, henceforth, now it's different. Going forward, we need to be prioritizing that it's a new situation, a new circumstance that we face, not that it wasn't there before, but we need to address it newly with new determination and new mobilizing of people and mobilizing of priorities to make sure we take the needed actions to address the fact 
that there is a crisis, a climate crisis going on in our world, and we need to do big things to change the big climate of our entire planet uh, back to what it needs to be uh, to overcome the bad things we've done to it through polluting it, through changing the balance of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which changes the amount of uh, heat that gets out of the out of the planet and uh, makes it get colder. Right. So when, when we talk and makes about it get, makes the weather makes the winter weather get colder, make the summer get hotter, makes a lot of awful things happen, and the temperature is gradually climbing as the CO two level in the atmosphere is going up. Right. So, you know, when we talk about Climate Reality Project and you said, you know, climate, climate reality has been inspiring people around different parts of the world to do something about it, to declare a state of climate emergency in different places around the world. How did all of this translate to, you know, a declaration of climate state of emergency in Santa Clara County? Uh, how did you go about from listening to this great idea at Climate Reality Project to actually getting it done in Santa Clara County. One of the big champions at the county level was a county supervisor named Dave Cortesi. And Cortesi, who's now has become a California state senator, mm -hmm. uh, he was elected in November, and he's a real climate champion. And he was, he had, there was a sustainability, director of sustainability that worked for him in the county, uh, there and and still works in the county. Uh, he had you know a number of the other um, members of the board of supervisors um, who were supporting this. And um, Susan Ellenberg is one of the other supervisors, and she's kind of stepped into the the lead in terms of making this go forward at the county level. Since Dave Cortesi is now up in Sacramento and in the California Senate. Um, and he's doing the similar kinds of things in the Senate. I mean, he's a new arrival there, but he, that's what he's up to. And um, and he's been doing that for a number of years. And um, I had spoken with him and seen him speak at various uh, speaking occasions. And, um, you know, he feels really strongly about this. Um, so, so the county declared a climate emergency. I believe it was in September of a year and a few months ago of 2019, if I remember correctly. About uh, three days later, I got a call from uh, one of the one of the city council members from the city of San Jose, which is in the county. Uh, Raul Perales, he's an old buddy of mine. Uh, was part of a group looking to see how we can make our country work better and ended up running for count, city council and, and we got him elected. He called me up and he said that the mayor had asked him to contact me because he knew that I was working on this and um, asked what could we put together in terms of a resolution for the city of San Jose to declare a climate emergency. And they needed to do it quickly because they had, a, had to get it written up and approved because the Women's March was coming up and they wanted to, and the, and the mayor had been asked to speak in front of the Women's March, which was coming up in four weeks. 
And he wanted to be able to say that San Jose had adopted a resolution declaring a climate emergency as well. I provided him some information. They did the work. They got it done. He did the, the speech in front of the 18,000 women, however many there were, women and men both, uh, at, the, at the Women's March, and announced that the city had adopted this uh, resolution to declare a climate emergency. And, and, then, and then I started to meet with uh, county supervisors and talk with, with uh, Raul Perales, saying, okay, it's a new regime now. You've declared an emergency. What are the next steps? And they said, well, we're just going to double down on what we've been doing. Uh, and I said, that's not sufficient. I said, if it's an emergency, you have to do new things. You have to do bigger things. You have to do things that you wouldn't have even felt you could do when it wasn't an emergency. But since it's an emergency, you're taking this on wholeheartedly because it's needed. Like, this is really urgent. Like, you know. And so the question was, what can they do? What actions can they take? And what I found was, for the most part, there was not a lot of support for doing something different. I was in a meeting with uh, Tara Sri Krishnan, who was the uh, chief of staff for uh, the Dave Cortese in the county. And she, I was there, and there were people from, I think, five other climate groups representing those groups, leaders of those groups. Uh, and she said to the, to the collected groups, she said, well, I know you each have uh, things that you're trying to do and, and, and programs that you want to push. She said, if you can all agree on three or four, because you each have a separate agenda, if you can agree on three or four things from that big agenda of things, then we can all focus on those and we'll make them happen a lot better than if you're each pushing for different kinds of things. Um, and one of the things that I've found is that the many different groups, the, the uh, Foundation for Climate Resolution, 350.org, the Silicon Valley Youth Climate Action, Mothers Out Front, the Sunrise Movement, um, these are some of the people who were some of the groups that were represented in that, in that uh, meeting they all have their list of things and they hold it really close and really dear to them of what, and they have great reasons why that's important to work on, you know. But when you talk with them about, well, I think we should find something that we all can agree upon, they don't want to let go of what they're working on. They want to work on their stuff and there's this like, like walls between the different groups of who's working on what. And similarly, in the government, they want to work on the stuff that is going to get the most support from the voters, and they think that the voters are just going to vote for a few things, and if it's too bold, the voters won't like it. Or the, the conservatives will put up a big uproar about how it's not right or how it's some, something really bad, and then they'll get lots of yays and nays and arguing and then it won't look good and then they'll lose voters and so it's very difficult to find the things that and find the way of bringing people together as right. you as humanity to make things happen right so the sense i'm getting here is the idea that you know this declaration of a climate state of emergency was more symbolic 
than practical because even if it was declared not a lot of actions were coming out of it and one of the things i think that he pointed out was the lack of consensus on what has to be done between different nonprofit organizations and you know the bodies within the government like neither nonprofits in you know there was neither a consensus between different nonprofits there was nor a consensus between different bodies of the government and there was no consensus between the government and nonprofits at large either and so it seems like well uh Santa Clara County declared a climate state of emergency but it wasn't uh taking the county anywhere would you agree to that I agree they had um they had a climate action plan that they were working on they announced that they were going to revise the climate action plan and in the course of about a year the climate action plan was not revised the 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 person who was in charge of it was let go the, the person who came in wouldn't say when it was going to get released to the public. It was, it was very disappointing to see the lack of a plan of action. San Jose had a plan of action I, that I helped to get going. Uh, it was called Climate Smart San Jose. And the thing that it had, it had a plan of action. It has some aspirational goals like we aim in 15 years to be reducing our climate our carbon you know down to carbon zero in 15 years but they didn't have any interim actions any interim measurable goals to be held accountable in the next two years or the next five years or the next eight years or the next 12 years leading up to the 15. so it was difficult for lack of seeing any clear accountability with measurable outcomes to see whether they were going to really do what's needed to get there. It's nice to talk about something that's 15 years off in the future and sound really good, but it's what's needed is a plan of action. What's needed with the climate groups is the ability to force that kind of plan of action to happen and to build big enough actions that everybody kind of agrees, yeah, that's more important than my, you know, uh, Save the Dolphins campaign. And, and it's not that I don't like dolphins. <laughs> but right. when, the, when there's a group that's just focusing on that and they're talking about climate change, it may not be the biggest thing or the most important thing that's needed. But to build, to mobilize the groups together, to build a consensus, to build a movement out of the disparate groups is very challenging. As, as time moves on, as the climate continues to get worse, as we get more and more evidence that there's something we need to respond to, uh, what's happening along at the same time is that the people who feel like their, their uh, livelihood or their business or their advantage or wealth is going to be jeopardized by changing directions, come up with a lot of uproar to try to keep things from being changed. Right. So not only is there a difficulty of bringing people together to make things happen that they agree something needs to happen, but also the people who don't want to see things happen, they raise the, 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 the uproar level and make it more difficult for things to happen. Unless, you know, Congress is a case in point, right? 
Right. So has any of this changed? I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think, but has any of this changed? I don't know, ever since, you know, there were a couple of fires last year close to San Francisco. You know, there were photographs on the Internet of the entire sky turning red. Have, have those events led to any sort of substantial change and led to any sort of consensus that we really need here for this thing to move forward? That's un- that's unfortunate, you know. And, and I'm Brian, by the way. You know, so happy to have you on the the podcast, Bruce. Uh, you know, one thing that you said uh, just kind of resonated with me because here in here in Washington D.C., we have a lofty goal goal to go completely renewable energy by 2032. And you know, you hear that, and you know, you get excited, or you know, some people wonder how that can happen, and the government sets these goals. Uh, at this point, they thought we would be 50% that 50% of the residential housing in DC would have solar panels on them by now, and we're at we're at 2%. And so what you what you what you said kind of, you know, kind of hit me because, you know, I think that this this kind of lofty expectations, these goals that we're setting, they sound good, and I think you know that that kind of you know pushes people at bay to kind of assume that the government is going to take care of this issue. But I don't think we can rely on the government. We can't. Well, you know, which government is that? <laughs> right. That's a good point. You know, I, you look at our at the U.S. Congress, you'll see how dysfunctional it is because those who don't want change have an effective means to prevent change from happening. You know, uh, there's there's a saying that says that profound change happens, but it always happens later than you want it to. Like more, it happens more slowly than you think it needs to. Like it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not. It's still not happening. It's still not happening like that. But then when it happens, it happens much more quickly. Yeah, than right. anybody could have imagined. So, you know, the, the, that's the nature of exponential change. And, uh, you know, talking about exponential changes, and I remember you just mentioned this a lot of times, where goals were set 15 years down the line, but there were no intermittent goals. Uh, I don't know, but did you try talking about these intermittent goals to, you know, people who came with the Climate Action Plan for San Jose and your county? And, you know, what were their reactions if you did so? Or, you know, any thoughts on that? When I started talking with the people, particularly in San Jose, I started to bring that up. I suddenly found it much more difficult to make appointments to make meetings happen. They got too busy. It's a shame. Well, it's it is and it isn't. I, you know, it in a sense it is a shame. Uh, in another sense, it's infuriating. Right. In another sense, it's motivating. You know, it's like when when things don't go the way people think they should, when things don't go well in people's lives relative to their expectation. There's different ways of responding to that. And for a lot of people, they get despondent, they get sad. A lot of other people get angry and combative. And other people get determined and dig in to see what is really going to be needed. And um, 
I considered myself to be the, the third kind of person of digging in and seeing what's needed and the, the things that I did around climate emer- declarations of climate emergency. And, and I talked to one of the people in charge and I said, so what's the action afterward? You know, we've got these declarations of emergency. And they said, we're too busy getting more and more cities signed up to declare a climate emergency. To, we're going to look at what the actions are later. I said, we can't wait. <laughs> I don't know that they ever looked at them. They, they got over a thousand cities and, and counties and countries even or all around the world successfully. But it's a, it's a halfway measure because by itself, it's just a piece of paper that a city or county signs as a resolution that sits on maybe maybe on a in a frame on the wall or something but it's just a piece of paper it doesn't make anything happen it's got to be people committing behind it to to really make it real to take the action and how is that going to happen like is is it you know, are, are you are are you forcing are you forcing the narrative yourself, or is do you do you envision this? Um, do you envision the focus narrowing here, or you know, what do, what do you see after after declaring a state of emergency? You know, what comes next? Well, what I did, what I did was I said we need to have things that we're pushing for that are way bigger than the little things that we're pushing for now. You know, a little city council says, you know, we're going to have more. Uh, replacement of natural gas utilization with electrical stuff, right? And so they pass things that are for new houses. They will be outfitted with water heaters and stoves that run on electricity rather than in natural gas, mm-hmm. uh, rather than methane. It's politically right now these days to call it methane and not natural gas. Natural gas is too kind of a word for methane. But they said just for new houses, well, about the statistics are that 5% of the houses of the thousand houses that make up a little town or the 10,000 houses, 5% of those get get replaced with new houses a year. So 5% per year, you're not going to be making much of a dent in the methane use, you know, per year. It's going to build up to something that's big over like 70 years. We don't have 70 years. So how do we get it to be something that calls for that to happen with existing homes and helps and supports homeowners to change it out and gives them, makes available financing, maybe even uh, uh, cost sharing and financing through your electric and gas bill where you can finance this thing instead of having to spend, you know, $5,000 this year for something. You could spend, stretch it out over a few years and, and save money in the process and ha- have the financing handled at a low interest rate. There's a lot of things that can be done. Um, the, the city of um, Menlo Park did something like that up by Palo Alto. Um, but that hasn't been done in a lot of places because they're not looking for a real big solution. They're just looking for little things that look good that, that aren't making much of a difference. So the question is, what are you going to do? So I started looking for some things that are at the state level because statewide programs, there's a lot of money in statewide programs. 
compared to what you have in in San Jose or in the small towns around San Jose. I live in Los Gatos, which has 30,000 people. And San Jose has a million people. And uh, Santa Clara County that San Jose and Los Gatos are located inside of is 2 million people. So it's like 26 little cities and towns. And San Jose is the, you know, <laughs> the 400-pound gorilla because <laughs> it's so much bigger. It's half the whole county. Um, but, you know, at the state level, we're, we're talking about the entire state. So I talked with someone who was working on policies and programs that related to climate change at the state level. And he was working on transportation stuff. And, you know, like money for the state to support the transition to electric propul electric propulsion for cars, you know, getting rid of gasoline engines and the gasoline that it requires. Um, and that's, you know, that's started to happen now, finally, that the state has announced that by 2020, 2026 or something like that, or 2023, uh, it's, it's not very far off, <laughs> that all the state's purchases of vehicles will all be electric vehicles and that there will be programs for everybody else to be able to buy electric vehicles. And, and General Motors is announced in the same time frame, I think 2028, that they will no longer be making gas engine propelled cars. Um, so there was this big transportation bill of $100 billion and the question was how much of that was going to go toward climate change related things like electric buses uh, like charging stations for cars in downtown downtowns like financing for purchases of those kinds of you know like that it's like big money you know some of it was going to go for roads you know and if the money had gone the way things typically go for roads it would have gone for adding more lanes for crowded highways which means you get more people who are living farther away, who are commuting down the same highways because now there's six lanes instead of four lanes or whatever. And it means the, the highway in a few years gets packed and jammed and slow the way it was before when it had four lanes because you have more people commuting down there and going further distances, which uses more, releases more CO2 into the atmosphere. So it's like it's not the thing to do adding more lanes it's got to be more creative than that and that's part of what this was the the guy that i was talking to richard shorsky is is somebody that works in that area in sacramento and he's been working on making policies that'll become become part of statewide legislation that would make all this stuff work much better and um you know, so he's been he's been working on that stuff. So I started looking bigger, um, and I had a hard time getting the local people and the local climate groups to be interested in something that's so far away as state legislature stuff. They wanted to have local stuff. Um, they haven't seen the, the vision yet of the big action and the big mobilization, and 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 they haven't seen that people are interested or willing to show up for stuff that's happening in Sacramento stuff that's happening statewide so much um and then and then COVID hit and then right. everything was delayed everything was waiting for the pandemic to go by waiting to get back to normal in the beginning it was like people were waiting to get back to normal and as we know now 
there, that normal back then is not going to return. There's going to be a new normal. It's not going to look much like the old normal did. And it's going to come out of a lot of innovation that the pandemic, the silver lining of the pandemic is innovation in the face of this kind of a crisis. Innovation. And I think the same thing with climate change. It's when we begin to really feel like this is something we need, we can't wait, that we need to take action now, we need to do it together, and we need to do it in a really, really big way. And we just haven't reached that point yet. Right. You know, you just mentioned innovation as a key towards, uh, you know, climate solutions. I, I was just wondering what sort of role will this innovation play in terms of, I don't know, public-private partnership, you know, corporations stepping up the game and like doing something about the climate crisis or even, uh, you know, independent citizens or citizen groups yeah. doing something about this. How do you see any of that folding out? Oh, all of the above. I look, I look at it as, as an ecosystem. Right. An ecosystem, and what I mean by that is that people will try things, and they won't know what's going to work. And they'll try whatever they can come up with. And they'll try obvious stuff first, and then more innovative, imaginative stuff later. Um, and some of the stuff will stick some of the stuff will get support. Some of the stuff, when you work out the details, it looks like this might actually work. And you'll get, you know, you get the built, it's like us, like, like, you know, um, going from a snowball to a larger snowball. You know, roll it, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you roll it down a hill, it'll pick up more and more and more and more snow as it goes down, it gets bigger and bigger. Same thing with ideas in the public sphere, is that, is that, that has this, this, the law of positive returns, you know, if it's, if it's good, if it's, if it seems workable, it gets more people, which gets more interest, which gets more awareness, which gets more confidence, which gets more people and interest and awareness and confidence, and it just builds momentum. And you have to just try lots of things because you don't know in the beginning what's going to work. And it's really an opportunity for innovation, trying new things. You know, one of the things that I'm working on right now is how do you set up an ecosystem, I mean, there's already an ecosystem. How do you set up a way for there to be a natural and supportive exchange of ideas and talking about what's working and what's not working so the different ideas have a chance to cross-pollinate, which is what happens in ecosystems? How can we accelerate that process? For whatever the contents are, whatever the ideas are, whatever whoever wants to be involved so that there's this ecosystem of innovation toward solutions so people will they'll they'll see it as this this mass of ideas and i and commit committed people and things being tried out and things being pushed for and people finding acceptance and all that stuff will be present and will be interesting and it'll be newsworthy and people will go there to be part of it you know and right. out of that will come an acceleration of this innovative process in the ecosystem response. Humanity will respond to this, but we don't right. quite know how that's going to happen. And I see this as, as being one piece of it. So I'm, I'm looking at that. 
you know, how to set up something like that to, that supports and accelerates the innovative process. It, it seems to me like, you know, we started with a very pessimistic note on how, I don't know, how, you know, this declaration of an emergency wasn't working out. And then it seems like we're moving from a pessimistic note to a more optimistic note where, you know, we are looking at the future and thinking about it in terms of innovation and development of an ecosystem, which is innovation friendly for climate positive impact. Um, do you identify yourself as somebody who is optimistic about the climate picture or yes. do you? Okay. Yes, <laughs> would, would, I, I am. Um, you know, it's, you know, I'm the, I'm the, as I was talking about the three kinds of people before, I'm the third kind of person. So I'm optimistic in the sense that I see that even though it's gloomy and it looks like we're not making the progress we could be making or should mm -hmm. be making or need to be making, you know, even though that's the case, that humanity has gone through a lot of major threats to its existence over the course of the history of humanity, you know, the, the 100,000 years since hum, human-type people first emerged on the planet, and the, and the change of cultures and the change of civilizations through history. I mean, you might say, well, everything that they held near and dear has collapsed or has, has been completely change to something different you know and yet we persisted and we came through it and we're still around to talk about it <laughs> um you know and so i i think we'll rise the to the challenge and i'm not trying to create an ecosystem i'm trying to feed the ecosystem there's already one here we're part of it we are we are it All right this is the ecosystem even this podcast Right, I'm. I'm glad it is a part of it. Thank you. And and I I, I just want to say, Brian, thank you for um, making this happen and sponsoring it. Yeah, it's no problem at all. And in fact, Bruce, we'd like to have have you on again, especially if um, you know, if if you find you know yourself achieving something and, and you know want to talk about it, you know, we'd love to have you back on. We're learning though, though that you know, forty minutes is a long time to talk about climate change. Um, so we do want to kind of cut it off short, cut it off now. But Shrey, do you have any any lasting question for Bruce before we let him go? Not question, essentially, but just a optimistic remark that, you know, maybe there is a solution at the very end of all of this. Maybe just like what Bruce said, you know, ecosystems can be fed that come up with innovative technologies that, you know, somehow end up finding several solutions to this problem and humanity just moves uh, away from where it is right now to a place that's like more pleasant. So thanks for joining us, Bruce. Thank you very much. It just feels very optimistic to talk to you. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know, Bruce, that, you know, we've had, you know, you're now our fourth guest on Temperature Check with Shrey. And, you know, I can't say that every one of the guests has had the same optimism. You know, the, the pilot um, that we had on our first episode, um, Jim Bishop, uh, he, he said, you know, like we'd have to take measures like you know, not running our AC, you know, like everyone committing to 
to not using your AC. And obviously that is, it's going to be hard to convince people in the South, you know, and even us, you know, my, my wife would, my wife would divorce me before I'm not putting on the AC in the summer. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear optimism, but I can't say that all of our <laughs> guests have, have shared that same feeling. Well, I, I agree with you. And, and, and the, the, the pessimism or the skepticism is, I think, a natural response to the conditions. But, um, and the only thing that's going to get us through is tremendous innovation. Because it's going to take something really new, both in the, in the technical realm, to understand what we do need to do. And it's probably not going to involve getting rid of our air conditioners. But it may be involving, um, you know, creating new sources of energy that don't release methane into the atmosphere and uh, can make clean energy, clean, free energy that can power much of what the earth is being powered with uh, or what the power needs of the earth are without, without, you know, destroying our ecosystem. Um, And, uh, you know, the thing, the thing I keep holding on to is the idea of innovation in the face of calamity. Wow. And I think we're going to leave it at that, Bruce. Yep. Thanks again for, for coming on the, the coming on Temperature Check with Shrey. Uh, follow us on everything at City Renewables. Visit our website at cityrenewables.com and, and keep tuning, tuning in for Shrey's show. Uh, we're just getting started um, and, and we're excited to see where this goes. Again, Bruce, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank, thanks, thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Shrey. Freaking out on the interstate Rolling down the windows, baby I can't hear a thing you say I'm walking back to my favorite place And I can feel them staring at me, baby Do you think I'm doing something wrong? And you got a lot on your mind And your heart, it looks just like mine There's no use in wasting your time Anymore I'm sorry I Haven't been myself Something's got me down What it is, I cannot tell I won't be satisfied with anything I've earned Fear is just a part of love And one thing i found Is love is what you deserve home and call my father on the telephone I hope you know I missed you man let's put this all behind us if we can never feeling like I'm all the way home You got-